Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Don't you love the last verse of that hymn we just sang? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So one of Martin Luther's great quotes, and he has about seven of them, he said, eternity is too short a time to praise God. Speaking of praising God, thank you, choir. Well done. Like the arrangement on that last verse, a descant that kind of went off up there just I found myself, it, 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 and I found myself worshiping at that point. So thank you for that. I head every year to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, for a golf trip. April. 29, 2019, I'll head there for my 32nd consecutive year. Now, the first trip, there were eight of us. Perfect number for a golf trip. And then the number kind of ballooned up to 20, which is too many. And then it dwindled to a foursome. (laughs) And for the last... Oh, eight years. There have just been three of us, which is kind of an awkward number for a golf trip. And we'll go to the course, and every now and then they'll stick a single with us. And I always feel sorry for the guy they stick with us because we play fast and hard, and golf etiquette is not high on our list of priorities. But the three of us who go... We are good, good, good buddies. Every guy needs good buddies. And if I were to make a list of all my guy buddies, these two would be toward the top. Now what's interesting is, they live in Chicago. So most years, I only see them once. We go to Myrtle Beach for a week, I laugh more that week than the other 51 combined. Then we leave, and we come back, and we pick it up right where we left it off. Now, both of these guys are doctors. One's an internist, one's a pathologist. One is Catholic. The other is an avowed atheist. And he and I have the most wonderful conversations. One of them called me. Oh, 10 days ago. That's not unusual. We stay in contact. We'll, we'll call each other, or every now and then we do this binge texting. 
with this thread that goes on and on and on and on. It gets more inane and inane and inane and inane. So this guy called me, and I knew right away something was up. I made a little remark, and he said, no, Max, this, this is serious. I, gotta, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. He said, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore, and you're the only one I can talk to about that. And right away, I picked up, and you probably did too, his word choice. Did you catch that? He didn't say, I'm beginning to doubt, I'm beginning to wonder. He said, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. And I said, okay, well, tell me more. He said, well, I was always taught that God is love, and God is all-knowing. So how can a loving God allow bad things to happen. Then he added this little phrase, four words, it doesn't make sense. So here's, here's what happened. Two things. His 46-year-old nephew didn't wake up one morning. Just died. No reason. No reason. Just dead. But here's the topper. The seven-year-old grandson of one of his friends, a, a, a colleague, a doctor, in fact, he was one of the first eight that went on the Myrtle Beach trip, so I knew him well. His seven-year-old son was killed in a zipline accident at his brother's birthday party. The tragedy of that is difficult to measure. And so these two things threw my buddy into this tailspin. These two situations contradicted everything he had ever believed about God. God is love. God is all-knowing. And since these things contradicted what my buddy believed about God, since in his mind a loving God would never allow a seven-year-old to be killed at his brother's birthday party, he is thinking about being done with God. Today's gospel, which is the basis for our message, we continue with the story that we read last week. Remember the rich young ruler? And just so everybody's up to speed on that, remember this guy came up to Jesus. He ran up to him, knelt, offered this respectful greeting good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing Jesus did was what? He, 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 he asked him about the good. He said, well, nobody's good but God. Are you calling me God? And remember the identity of Jesus as a recurring theme through the Gospel of Mark. And then Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And the guy said, well, I've done them. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the... It wasn't just sell all you have. It was a reorientation toward the poor. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and the man walked away sorrowful, the text says, because he had many possessions, and actually the possessions had him. Now here's where we pick it up and watch the flow here. As the guy is walking away, Jesus turned to the disciples and said, how difficult it is for people with wealth To enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed. 
And Jesus then repeated it, and he intensified it. Children, again I say to you, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice this time there's no reference to riches. It's just how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then comes this line. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And down through the years, there have been all kinds of attempts to soften that statement a bit, to make it more palatable, particularly to those of us who are comfortable. There was actually a guy in the ninth century, and he came up with this. He said, in the wall around Jerusalem, there's actually a small gate, and it's called the Needle, and a camel could get through it if it wasn't carrying any loads of stuff, if it got down on its knees, and if it was a one-humper. Well, the problem is there's absolutely no evidence that such a gate ever existed, and why in the world would a camel driver ever ask a camel to go through a gate like that when there was a normal gate right next door? And the other way that people have attempted to soften this statement is to kind of say, well, Jesus was just kidding. He was being hyperbolic. He was overstating in order to make a point. Well, let's be real clear, just twixt us. There's no softening this statement. This is a literal camel and a literal eye of the needle, the largest animal that the Israelites knew and the smallest opening. And this is not hyperbole. It's a statement of fact. And I love what happens next. I love the, I love the next line. The disciples catch this. Remember, they were amazed. Jesus repeated it, and it says, they were even more amazed and said, well, who can be saved? See, they got it. They understood this was not Jesus making a point. They fully understood. And the force of the Greek is they were stunned, stunned. You could knock them over with a feather because what Jesus said contradicted everything they had ever thought they knew and understood. Kind of like my buddy. It didn't make sense to them. See, here's what they had always understood. The way to be right with God is obey the commandments. In fact, the Pharisees said that if every Israelite in Israel perfectly obeyed the commandments two Sabbaths in a row, God would return and restore the kingdom to prominence. And the Pharisees didn't operate with Ten Commandments. You know how many they had? 613. They cooked up commandments just to prevent anybody from accidentally bumping into one of the ten. And here's the other thing the disciples understood. Riches were a sign of God's favor. Circumstances in life were always an indicator of God's pleasure or displeasure. If things weren't going well, if there was some kind of suffering going on, God must have been unhappy. 
Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? The Pharisees looked at him and said, well, okay, tell us, is it your sin or your parents' sin that caused you to be blind? Cause and effect. By the way, it's that blind guy, later in chapter 9, the Pharisees said, well, tell us what you think about Jesus. And the guy said, well, I don't know. All I know is this, I was blind, now I see. That great line we just sang in Amazing Grace. And if their blessing in life, if life is going swimmingly, that means God is pleased and is blessing. So here's this rich young ruler, huh? Who is upright, good, respected, the kind of guy every Jewish mother would point to and say, I want my son to grow up like that. And rich. This guy is a slam dunk in the disciples' mind for heaven. And yet he's the one that Jesus pointed to and said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than that guy to get into heaven. See, here's what the disciples did. And can I tell you this? We do the same thing. They imposed on God their sense of justice and right and wrong and fairness. See, we expect God to reward the good and punish the bad. And that he asks of us certain things, and as long as we do those things, he's happy and everything goes along just fine. Until something happens in life that contradicts our understanding of what's right and fair. Then we have a dilemma. Like my buddy who was sent into a tailspin. Like the disciples who were so perplexed, they thought the whole thing was hopeless. In fact, Peter said, Lord, we've given up everything. Don't tell us it was for nothing. Remember the movie King Kong? Sure you do. There's been several. As far as I'm concerned, there's only been one. 19 and 33. Fay Not that any of you were around in 1933 or went to the theater to see it. But here's the narrative. Here's what's going on in that story. Kong was the villager's god. This large, powerful force outside of them who influenced the way they lived. But as long as they kept him appeased, as long as they did what they thought he wanted, as long as they met his desire, as long as they provided a sacrifice, they could keep him at a distance and then go about life in the village the way they wanted. Cause and effect. Grace turns that narrative, grace turns that narrative completely inside out. God says, sin has entered the world. I demand justice. Sacrifice has to be made. Somebody has to pay. I will. And he made the sacrifice. He sent his son who became sin that we might become righteousness. Except grace doesn't make sense 
in our world. It's not the way we know things work. It doesn't make sense to our way of thinking. In our way of thinking, you have enough good things on your ledger to counteract the bad things, and you're okay. Except it doesn't work. There's never enough good things. We always, always, always fall short like the rich young ruler. It is impossible. Grace makes the impossible possible. Except grace doesn't make sense. My favorite scripture is one of them. I have about 411. One of the 1 Corinthians 1. In fact, I use this every morning in my prayers, my devotional life. Paul there says, we preach Christ crucified. What's the next line? A scandal. Greek word is skandalon, as we all know, which means a stumbling block, an obstacle, something that gets in the way. A scandal to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those of us being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's what that means. The cross makes no sense to people who think they're good enough. And it makes no sense to those who think they know better. But to us, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It looks like an impossibility. But it makes all things possible. And to those around us, we lift high the cross. We proclaim Christ crucified. And that's all. We don't argue. We don't position. We don't attempt to persuade. We don't attempt to convince. We don't help them make sense of it because we can't and it doesn't. We just lift high the cross. And to my buddy who called me to help him make sense out of these tragic events, all I could do was point to the cross and remind him what an absurdity those things would be without it. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now. Maybe you're in an impossible place. Maybe there's just, and you're feeling weak, done in, overwhelmed, Hopeless. Would you look to the cross and know what looks like weakness and foolishness is power for your life and wisdom. Grace. Amazing. And so be it. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ our King. Amen.